to the book of John chapter three. Let's go to verse 16. I want to talk to you. I want to minister the truth to you that God is very much in love with me right now. Let's say it together. God is very much in love with me right now. That's the truth. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. What's the next verse? Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. I need a little brush up, don't I? Hallelujah. Well, John chapter 3. We're going to look in the Word and see if that is so, and we're going to live that truth. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Who's in the, who's in the world? Are you in the world? Yes. We were in the world. So we could say, for God so loved me. That's right. For God so loved me, just me, if you were the only one that would say yes to Jesus out of 8.2 billion or whatever there is, he'd say, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm on that cross. So God so loved me that he gave his only begotten son, that he gave, he gave. Well, love gives. It says there he loved the world. How much did he love the world? Let's measure it. Measure it by what you give. You say you love, but you don't give, you don't love. Because giving measures loving. Lust takes. Love gives to others, lust takes for himself. So people that are entitled, they're just out of love. Where's mine? Where's mine? Where's mine? We're not looking for mine to receive. We're looking for mine to give. Sign that title over to me so I can give it. So uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And then he goes on and said, the door opened. What door was it? That whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That door opened because God so loved the world. And his love had to be matched by his giving. Otherwise, it's an idle boast. For God so loved the world, but he didn't do anything. It's an empty promise. It's an empty validation. Who is God? Well, he's nobody. He has nothing. If he doesn't give, he doesn't love. And if he doesn't love, who is he? The Bible says God is love. So we could look at this and say, for love so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. So anybody that complains and asserts and is defiant that says that God took my baby away from me, my baby died, and God took my baby. What, what are they saying? They're saying they're accusing God of having no love. They're not just saying God took it away and it was an arbitrary and a neutral transaction. He doesn't love because he took my baby away. And it's a very strong accusation. Because if he doesn't love for the baby, he doesn't love you. And if he doesn't love you, he doesn't love anybody because there's no respect. He's no respecter of person. So if God didn't get me what I wanted, then I'm accusing him that God doesn't love. If I accuse him of saying God allows bad things to happen to some people, 
but not all people. I'm accusing him of being a God that doesn't love. It's the basis of all that we believe. If we say that God is good to some, but he doesn't care about me or he doesn't follow through on me, then we are accusing God. You're a God of no love. Well, that would identify or look at demon gods. If you look at every religion, every faith or so-called whatever, they all demand that you serve them or they're going to not rain or it's going to come a flood or it's going it, to he's going to hurt you if you don't give to him. If you don't pony up to the demon gods, if you don't bring it and bring it on time. They don't love. They're going to hurt you. And that's what they preach. That's what they teach. So they're always groveling and always trying to get around to giving their demon gods something to appease him. And it's always been this way. The Greek gods, the, uh, the, the Hindu gods, the Buddhist gods, the Muslim gods, all of them demand something to appease them so that they'll have some sort of tranquility or basis for not whacking you. Turn with me to Ephesians. For, for God so loved, for love so loved, he gave. Ephesians, please, chapter 3. If you don't know that God loves me, is in love with me very much right now, then you are a broken believer. You can't go very far. We got to get you out of first grade before we can graduate you with honors. And there's no hope to get you into the second grade if you don't know that God loves me very much, very much. Matter of fact, he loves us so much that there is nothing we can do to get him to love us more. He's tapped out. Because he loves us, because he's not looking at what you and I did, he's looking at what Jesus did. Ah, oh, there's the linchpin. They're looking... He's looking at what Jesus did, and he is so happy that Jesus fulfilled every single thing in love that there's nothing more that he can do, that you can do to get him to love you. It's the most. Well, if he loved me more, he'd do more. Oh, he's already done it all. He said it's finished. So it's not a matter of him giving. It's a matter of me receiving. Why would I not receive the goodness of God. It would only be because religion has brainwashed me to say that God doesn't love me. Therefore, I'm the, I'm the redheaded stepchild, so to speak. I'm the one that, I'm the middle child. I'm the one that God always is invisible. Uh, not, nobody sees me. It's just not true. Matter of fact, it says in Romans 8 that, that uh, of Jesus said he's the firstborn among many brethren. And that as he is, 1 John, so are we in this world. No distinguishing, no difference between him and us. We are not Jesus. We are not the Messiah. We did not pay the price. But we've been elevated as if we did. I was on the cross with him. I was in the tomb with him. And I was raised up in victory with him. No different. With him. I'm seated 
with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm seated with him, with him, not, not I, I, you're looking for buildings? I go down a mile or six and then turn right and go a half country mile and he's somewhere in there. No, no right here. Right here. Where's Jesus? He's next to Billings. He's next to Michael. I mean, you go, well, that's blasphemy. That's terrible. But it's gospel. <laughs> it's truth. And we got to get over it. We got to get over us being inferior because of something we did. You couldn't have made it, but we don't have to make it because he made it for us. Ephesians chapter three, it says in verse 14, here's the love chapter that's not in Corinthians. It says, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of who the home family in heaven and earth is named. I bow my knee that he would grant you. So he's praying here, isn't he? Isn't he praying for the church at Ephesus? He said, I, I bow my knee and, and I, I, I pray that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, his goodness, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's a good prayer. It's a good thing to receive that I am strengthened by his might in my inner man. You got the inner man, you got everything. You look like Arnold, you don't, you, all you got is steroids or whatever he has. <laughs> you don't know what else, what's on the inside of that man. So uh, isn't that good? You can go to church and get an impersonation like that. And, and there for a minute you were going, where'd that come from? That's Arnold. <laughs> Uh, oh, my. Yes, sir. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. How, how's that going to happen? That ye being rooted and grounded in agape, unconditional, unqualified love. Not based on something you do, not based on a relationship, not based on an experience, based on something that he did. He's so when you go into a, a dog place. Uh, that's uh, a shelter and you say, I, I want a little bit right over there in the corner. And you don't say, can we have a demo? Can we see how he eats? Can we see how he potties? Can we see how he runs over the hoops? We just say, I want that one. When you go into an orphanage, you don't say, how fast can he type? And does he know quantum physics? No, we just say, I want that one. And then we take that one home and it's our very own. And we, uh, amazingly, dogs and cats, get child status. There's pet cemeteries. Mama's over there with the little stick cross, but Fifi's over here with the monumento. Don't shout me down just because I preach real good. Hallelujah. Praise God. Uh, that, uh, that we being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, what would that do? What would it do to be rooted and grounded in love? We may be able to comprehend, to understand, to, to assimilate and cooperate and agree with what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. He said that's real important. That really nothing else works if you don't know how much he loves you. You'll always stutter. You'll always hesitate. You'll always draw back about the promises. 
If you don't know you're qualified, if you don't know you're loved unconditionally, if you don't know, I don't even remember what the devil's saying about yesterday, what I did, about this morning, what I didn't do. I'm qualified and I'm rooted and grounded in love. And I know he loves me as high as it goes, as long as it goes, as wide as it goes. I know there's no room left for him to love me. I'm totally in love. He's totally in love with me. Therefore, I know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, say faith. faith, it passes knowledge. If you stop and get out your calculator and say, well, let's, let's add this up and see if it makes sense, him, God, God loving me, you won't get there. Passes knowledge. That ye might be, oh, my word. What passes knowledge? What passes understanding? What passes the comprehensible? The, the understanding that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God, of God, that you and I could be filled with a little dabble, do you, of God? No, all the fullness of God. Look up in the stars and, and, and see the vastness of it. There's a billion, there's 10 billion billion stars. We can see 12 to 1,500 of them on any night, according to what I read. Who knows? But there's a lot more going. And he said, I'm the one that did all that, and I want to get in you. I want to be in you. I want to operate through you. I want to be best friends with you. I want to spend my life with you. I want to invest all that I have and all that I can do in you. You are the precious one. You are the particular one. You are the called out one. You're the one that I, I waited for. You don't get that from anybody. But he's saying it right here. Now unto him, what is this filled with the fullness of God? He's able to do exceeding. He can do this, exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. But then he qualifies it according to the power that worketh in you. So, so not thinking, because I'm a good thinker. I'm not the best thinker, but I can, I can hold my own. I can think. You can think. We can think. But it's not a thinking thing. It's a believing thing. God loves me. God is in love with me. He's very much in love with me. He's in love with me. <sighs> Pretty special over here if you want to know something. Pretty special. Would you all agree? How special can you be? What is, what is step B? What is the next step up? No, we, we plateaued. We, we tapped out. We, we got to the top. So I ask you, shouldn't, knowing this, knowing this, shouldn't the church be the love dispensary to the world? If we know this, the world does not know this. They're the ones that say, well, God doesn't love me. He, he took my baby, he took my husband, he took my, he could have stopped it. If God was a God of love, he, he wouldn't have let this happen. All those, all that chitter chatter, they don't know. So we're the only dispensary of love there is. And if we don't know that he loves, we have nothing to say. 
Good luck. God loves me. So I am created. You are created by God to love. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, Romans 5, 5 says. I am created. I am created. I'm born again and the fullness of love of God and God is love. So the fullness of love came inside you and on me in, in us so that we, so that we, so that we can show the world love. We might do that through signs and wonders. We might do that through just sitting and talking and visiting and, and reassure. There's a lot of ways that love comes out. But that's what we've been created to do. We are the love expression of heaven. It's so marvelous. Um, and if we don't do that, if we don't show the unconditional love of God, then what do we have? Well, there's several kinds of love, and one of them is phileo love. You know, we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It's phileo love. And that's in Luke chapter uh, 6, where it says, uh, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Well, that's kind of a gimpy kind of love. You know, I got to do something for you for you to do something for me. Jesus said, the sinners do that. How, what more do you have? What, what's special about you? Because the sinners or back scratchers because they want, they want something in return. He said, no, I put something in you that won't take anything from you and it'll express who I am. Mark chapter two, please. Mark chapter two. Can you tell I'm really getting up in this morning? I'm really moving right along. Hallelujah. <laughs> Mark chapter two, verse 15. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, isn't that amazing? He had a house. Many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus, publicans and sinners and his disciples, for there were many and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, how is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The word repentance there means to change, change your mind, turn around and go the other way. He said, I've called sinners to change their mind. They don't understand. They don't know what's happened. They don't know who sent me. They don't know who I am that's been sent. And so they just keep on doing what they're doing and having what they're having. So sinners, listen, sinners cannot change themselves beyond themselves. You go to AA and you get along and you testify, well, I just, well, I've been here four weeks and I'm doing better and I'm doing better and I hadn't done this and I hadn't done that. But then they fall off the wagon and what happens? They go exactly back to where they were because they cannot go further than themselves. As long as they're in a program, long as they're in some sort of system and they change, they stay changed until the system breaks down and then they cannot stay changed. They cannot stay changed. They go back to who they are. But you and I got born again. And when we change, 
We stay changed. We're born again. We're changed from the inside. Sinners cannot change themselves beyond themselves. But we don't have to depend on ourselves to be changed. Jesus came in and he changed us. And we respond or react to that love to change. So the moment a sinner releases his grip to change, it's so frustrating to watch sinners try to change. It is. It's sad because they, they just, it takes all of them, their soul, and it takes all of their soul to change, all of it. And then as soon as they just let up, and they can't, they can't maintain. Y'all know we couldn't maintain when we were sinners. We go a long ways, and sometimes you don't fall back. You, you go up 10 steps and go back nine, you know, and, and whatever. And so I'm not saying there's nothing there that we can do. But they're pretty much at the mercy of their willpower, of their of their of the threat of you're going to go to jail if you do it again or if you don't change or you're going to lose your kids or you're going to lose your job if you don't change. So we know in Second Corinthians 517 it says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. What changed us at the new creation? It was love. Love came in and changed us. He changed us from the inside. It wasn't an instant. Sometimes you go a while till the inside reacts to the outside. But we get to thinking, I'm filthy there. I don't like that. I'm, I don't want to do that anymore. And so the change that's on the inside reacts to the outside. And we slowly, incrementally, if not right away, we change and change and change. And as we feed on the word, we're changed more. But if you don't have the word, you'll, you'll go back, won't you? Even though you're born again and have the potentials. So sinners that are mean. Do you all know any sinners that are mean? They're mean because they've never been changed. And they, they paste over it and paper over it and cover it up. But as soon as the glue lets go, <laughs> that wallpaper comes down. And they were mean and they are mean. And, 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 and sometimes we get mean but it's just our flesh. But it snaps back. It snaps back. And more and more and more, we don't get mean, even though we used to be mean. But mean people can't help themselves. They're mean. And so Dr. Cole talks about this extensively, that when if you don't change your character when you're young, and you just put a, a facade on, you just put a, a charm, you put a, a personality thing, you will to be nice. <laughs> You know how, have you ever watched people when you walk in the room and they're frowning and they see you or something and you're smiling, how they'll work a smile up? Y'all need to get out more. Praise God. <laughs> anyway, so they'll, they'll smile back. And, but as soon as you look the other way and then you look right back, they've already got that frown back. So it's, it's, just, it's just put on. So sinners can't change themselves. But Jesus, love, changes us all. And it's not because we go to church. It's not because we quit smoking or quit whatever people quit doing. It's because of the changer that's inside of us, the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. He transforms us. So it's the goodness of God that leads us to change. And you've got to have the goodness of God inside. And then once you have him inside, you've got to acknowledge him. 
So back to back to uh, Dr. Cole, I was saying that that you got to change your character when you're young because we have all the ability of charm and personality to cover up mean. When mean people can cover it up, that was my point I didn't get to. We can cover it up and and we can smile and act nice and everything. But but when we get older, we lose the will. I had a family member, one that told me, she said, uh, she was there, she says, I'm old enough to say whatever I want. Well, I was thinking, you're not old enough for us still not to like it and to think you're an old fool for, saying, or th for thinking you can say whatever you want, that we have to put up with your stuff just because you're older. Old is not a pass. But what happens is, as people get old, they lose the ability for that charm, that personality, that facade. And then they get gripey and they get mean. You go, look at Uncle Jack. He used to be such a nice guy, but now he's mean as thunder. And you think he got mean and you blame old age. But what happened was when he was a young man, he was mean, covered it up and he never changed his character. So he stayed mean. And then when he couldn't cover it, everybody said, well, look at old meanie. He's mean. No, he was always mean. So family, change your character when you're young. We're all still young, aren't we? we? We still got time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Change it. Don't don't be one of those old men that that don't take showers and don't brush their teeth and don't don't zip their zipper and, and all the things I see these old men doing. You know, it's like, mother, <laughs> do something. <laughs> Excuse me, that slipped out. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Titus chapter 3. Do you all know where Titus is? You go, you go almost as far as you can go. Not quite. If you find it, tell us where it is. Titus is before Philemon. How about that? <laughs> After Timothy. 2 Timothy, then Titus. Titus chapter 3. I know, I know, this is like... Coach Bryant used to say he, he'd have a bad game and he'd get everybody back into practice. And he said, boys, we got to go back to the basics. And then he would say, this is a football. And he would go back to the basics. Well, we're never immune from going back to the basics. God is love. And without knowing that, not understanding that, not without walking it, our, we will not have the victory because the Bible says in... Galatians chapter 5, faith worketh through love. So you're not going to get anything without walking in love. You'll have weak faith, little faith, inconsistent faith. Your faith won't work. It'll be with the wrong moment. But here we are in Titus chapter 3, look in verse 3. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers or various lusts and pleasures, living in malice, oh my, and envy, oh my again, hateful and hating one another. That's, that's what lo no love looks like, isn't it? But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us 
by the washing of regeneration and renewing in the Holy Ghost. He said, you were a rough looking lot before love came. Oh, I was pretty good going to hell. Before you were born again, you, you didn't look so good you could escape that. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. You never were that good. You never were that sweet. You never were that able to put down bad things. We were sinners. And the one thing that sinners do better than anything is sin. We were experts. We were developing new patterns and new methods of sin all the time. But we got born again. The, the, uh, the Amplified says, for we also, I thought y'all would like this in the Amplified. I, I did. For we were once thoughtless and senseless, obstinate. You are obstinate thing, you. And disobedient, deluded and misled. We too were once slaves to all sorts of cravings and pleasures, wasting our days in malice and jealousy and envy, hateful, hated detestable and hating one another. Oh, aren't you glad you're saved this morning? Hallelujah. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior to man, as man appeared, he saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but because of his own pity and mercy by the cleansing bath of the new birth and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Boy, it just feels good all of a sudden to be saved this morning. You get reminded every once in a while of where we came from. And we, we kind of sugarcoated it and said, well, I wasn't that bad. And it wasn't so bad. And it was not so bad. Yeah, you were bad. We were bad to the bone. We were bad to the marrow. <laughs> John 15 says, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. God loves me very much right now. He's in love. He's not just like, okay, I'm loving that bunch over there. He's in love. He's sending love letters. He's whispering in my ear. He's bringing sweet dreams to me at night. He shows me things about his plans for me. Oh, Lord, I, I, I couldn't do that. I, that's what I planned you. I, matter of fact, I've already packed your bag. You know, little Trace this morning. We've got him this week, and his mama packed his bag. There's more cookies in there than I can eat in a week. <laughs> I mean, yay, the kid's here. <laughs> His mama packed a bag. <laughs> oh, it's a great day. Hallelujah. But, uh, yeah. Love is wonderful. The Passion Version says, I love each of you with the same love that Father loves me. So it's not enough to just think that God loves me. Yeah, 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 he loves me. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, he loves me. But I'm telling you, he's putting sweet dreams in our heart. He's encouraging us. He's getting us over the hump. Every hump, he gets you over it. He doesn't say, you know, we've done this six or 18 times. You just stay there for a while until you get good and ready to be serious. No, he just says, let me help you again, as if he'd never helped you before. He comes to you. The 18th time, like it's the first time, said, hey, sweetheart, let's get this. That's what love does. Amen. Luke chapter 6. Let's, oh, the clock. 
That's a trick, isn't it, Barry? You've moved the clock. He's got some clicker thing in the sound booth and he's moving the clock. It's, it's doing 30 seconds a minute. Hallelujah. John chapter, Luke chapter 6. Oh, my. Well, we did. We're going to do some stuff this morning. You can run anytime. Praise God from now on. Now, I'm not looking for you today, but it, from now on, you go home and get an unction. You see yourself at night running out around the room. You come in here and measure it and see if you can make it. Then <laughs> the pastor's done it. It's if he can do it. It's doable. But love your enemies. Verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend. They couldn't do any of this. These people were not born again, were they? Are y'all there? This, they're not born again. They cannot do this. Forgive 70 times 7. They couldn't do it. They couldn't forgive 7 times. But he told them, love your enemies because there's a power coming. There's a love coming. And do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great and you shall be children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and the evil. So you got to get out. I got to get out of my head. No more acts of God. You know, when you. Sometimes when you file a claim, a windstorm came by or water rose up and they say, oh, that was an act of God. That is such a lie against our God. An act of God. How dare you? I have canceled my insurance. I used to be with a company and they told me my refrigerator went out because the act of God got the transformer on the street and that it blew up my refrigerator. And they said, that's an act of God and we're, we're, we're not touching it. And I said, I'm not touching you. I canceled today. No more of that. I don't know that I improved it, but I certainly got to smack them once. Hallelujah. But I'm noticing how preachers embezzle the gospel. Shame on you, preachers, that embezzle the gospel and don't tell the, the precious things of love that, that God has for us. Instead, keeping us captive to works of righteousness, which we can do. Well, you know, God, God likes you, but if you don't giddy up over here and get rid of that over there and whatever, it's not going to be good for you. That is a lie. It is a lie. It is a lie. Amen. He likes you if you sit on the proverbial living room catch, couch all your life and don't do anything, but you're a son. You're born again. They don't like this gospel. They don't like that where you don't do anything for God. I mean, you're a slug. You're a slug. You got born again and you didn't do jack for God. And a little mean, matter of fact. But you're born again. You're a child. They don't like this gospel that says that. But I'm telling you, love just says we have no line. We have no red line. But we don't like it down here. We like judgment. We like a line that says if you step over the line. It's not good. And that's how our laws are made. And that is the way it is. But it's not the way God is. Just read the prodigal. He waited and waited and waited. Why is the phrase God is good all the time? Why does that have any traction? Why is that a catch word among Christians? Well, God's good. Why do we have to say that? The sun's bright. The stove's hot because we don't we've never believed it. We've preached a whole generation where the church didn't know that God was good because they've been taught 
God's in control, so bad things happen. And we don't like them, but we don't understand. So we give God a pass since he, he obviously did it. There's no devil. Obviously, it's old covenant, no devil. And so we just, we just say God's not good. But we don't dare say God's good. So now it's okay to say God is good all the time. What an immature and benign little church people that would not know God loves me very much. So no wonder they don't know if they're going to heaven. Uh, somebody was telling me this morning somebody that, that someone in their life did what somebody in my life did, was older, and said, I just hope I make it. Had been born again for 75 years and said, I hope I make it. Hope I had messed up here at the end. The reason revivals don't work for churches is because they're looking for judgment. These people deserve what they're getting. Well, I'm going to finish with this. Don't be a frustrated Christian. Frustrated Christians are Christians that don't know if God loves them. They're cynical. There's a lot of cynical people in our nation right now. I don't like how it's going either. I don't like what they're doing and what they're teaching and what they're... What they're all, I don't like any of it. You don't like it. It's not who we are, especially this generation that I'm in. We don't like that. And so we get cynical. And so every time something comes on the news or we hear about it, we just roll our eyes and go, oh, gosh, it's look at it. It's that way. But and there are a lot of bad people that are getting their voices up, but it doesn't change God and it doesn't change me. So I don't want to be cynical and Christians that get cynical that God can't do his job. Listen to me. They're cynical because they say God can't do his job. Is he good all the time or is he good some of the time? And you never know what God's going to do. They don't know God loves. There's other things at play. There's the curse. Do y'all know there's a curse in the world? We're to live above the curse, but it's in the world. Jesus said in the world you'll have tribulation. You'll have the curse. He said, but it's going to rain on the just and the unjust just. But speak to the rain. Speak to it if you don't like it. So they're cynical. And cynical people become legalists. And they like judgment. Legalists like a line. And family, I'm telling you this morning, if you want to walk in the fullness of God, if you want to be filled with the fullness of God, you got to throw off this legalism. Uh, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. That's how it is. We would like to the legalist side of us would like to say, yeah, but. And I've been there. I've been there where you go. Surely this is crossing the line. But it doesn't. Now, who can know? We don't have to decide it down here because it's just as he says it is. Is Jesus coming pre, mid, or post? It doesn't matter. It'll be like he said it is. And you have to make no adjustment whatsoever if it's going to come pre, mid, tribulation, or post. Are you all in agreement with me? That you can't change it and you can't adjust for it. Live to go the first time it's going. First trip out, I'm on it. And the same thing about the new birth. You can say, well, I, I think it's going to be this way, but you don't change anything. 
It is what he said it is. And we don't know everything about everybody that would qualify them to be disqualified or qualify them to go. Brother Hagin used to say, you're going to be surprised who's there. You're going to be surprised who's not there. And you're going to be surprised that you're there. <laughs> so the point is, people get saved by grace. Listen to me. They get saved by grace. Oh, God, I've sinned. I'm a sinner. Please save me. And he does. But then they want to live or maintain by works. You adulterer, you're going to hell. You can't, you, you can't come to our church anymore. Did you know that? Uh, where I came from in Seminole, the church of Christ, a, a certain church. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, a sweet, had five kids, sweet little school teacher in the system. Uh, oh, she was a goodie. But she had a meaner than a junkyard dog husband. And he divorced her for all sorts of reasons that the, the town thought they knew. So she didn't do anything. I mean, who can know, but, but it was obvious. They got her up in front of church. And they, they made her repent of things, of, of being divorced, and, uh, and, and wouldn't let her do anything in the church. She was done in the church. You go, well, that's terrible. Well, if we're in any part of that, we're, we're, we're terrible too. So we're just not going to be that way. We're going to say, you know, it's not me to judge. Now, we want to follow the scriptures. The word says in 1 Corinthians 5 that there was a certain man that was doing terrible things with his stepmother. And Paul said, put him out of the church, judge that so that his flesh will come under judgment and he'll he'll change before he goes the wrong way. There, there are things where you have in the word, but just to arbitrarily just say because you got a bad husband or whatever. I didn't mean to get off on that. Uh, so I'm going to ask you a question before I quit this morning. Just ask yourself in your heart. Just make a, a, a call on this. Do you rejoice when mean people are crushed? Do you tend to go that way when mean people, mean people, oh, they were mean. I am so glad they got what they deserved. When they're crushed, do you rejoice? Woohoo! They're gone. They're done. They caught him. They, they put him out. Well, then, before you answer, before you say, well, sure I do. You've got to ask yourself, do you rejoice when you're mean, and we've all been mean, and you're not crushed? Maybe I'm the only one that's been mean. I'm mean to cats. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not mean to them. Just when there's five cats over here, I, I, <laughs> I just enjoy it. And I honk my horn at them. I am. I got mean in me right there. I'm, I, I'm cat mean. I know it's terrible. I, I may not get to come back next Sunday. But I'll be repenting Monday through Friday, I promise. But I'm just saying, do you, do you think we ought to, are you crushed when, you, when, when people, are you happy when other people that do wrong get crushed, but glad when you don't get crushed when you do? So we're looking at good intentions, aren't we? We judge others by what they do and ourselves by our good intentions. 
Well, the love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. Whatever that means, whatever we're doing, we're all working on it. I said we're working on it. It's a work. We're working on our love walk. And it starts with saying, believing and living. God's in love with me. He's very much in love with me right now. He's very he's in love, not just loves. He's in love with me. He sends me love notes. He whispers in my ear. He he uh, he comforts me when I'm having a, a bad one. He just comes in and says, ah, we got this. We got this, Michael. It looks it looks this and it looks that. But we got this. And I went, yeah, Lord, we got this. OK, I'm encouraged. He comes in. He's in love with you. Oh, come on, y'all smile just just for the camera. We'll turn the camera on. Amen. Well, Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us with a love so that we could love you. We couldn't even love you until that happened, until the new birth. We couldn't even love you. We were afraid of you. And shame on those preachers that preach that God is mad at them. Because it's just a lie, Lord, and you, you just aren't mad at anybody. I could point out some folks you could start with, but you don't even take my counsel. You, you like them anyway. So we thank you, Lord, that love is working in us to love who you love. Who you love, Lord, we say, I can love them too. It's the same love. We thank you that that love, Lord, is going to be demonstrations and manifestations of the Holy Ghost. We're going to prophesy to the drug dealer and say, God loves you. And it's going to change people. We give you praise for a good, good life in love. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.